Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we are still married. Before we get to this episode, we have a few announcements. The world is ending. Everyone stay inside. Hope you bought your toilet paper. Refund your NBA tickets. Oh my gosh, things are crazy right now. We have a bidet, so we don't need toilet paper. We do not, but we kind of do. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, so... (laughs) You know, one of the things we're really excited about is the fact that we made our workshop a webinar. It was online. It's prophetic. Coming from you, that means a lot. Hey, anyone can prophesy. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) We just wanted to give you a few updates about our workshop on a tightrope. For those who didn't listen to the last episode or are not in the Facebook group, have not received an email or Instagram, I feel like we've been doing it on all fronts. Trying Uh, to get the word out. Yeah, trying to get the word out. We have workshop on a tightrope. And this is a six-week webinar course with uh, our clinical bestie, Natasha Helfer-Parker. NHP. She brings a lot of clinical knowledge, and we bring the practical knowledge, and we've merged together to create this course. It starts April 13th. It goes through May 28th. And this is kind of how the course is laid out. So on Monday nights, we have a lecture presentation and then a Q&A. If it's too late at night, because it will be 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time is when we start it. If it's too late at night, it is recorded and you can watch at your leisure. So whenever you have time to do it, that's kind of the cool thing is you can just do it on your own time. But if you can join us, that's that's best. So and then on Wednesday nights, we give you an action guide, something to do with your spouse. And then on Sunday nights, we come together for 60 minutes and you ask all the questions and we answer all the questions the best that we know how. And then we move on to the next subject the next week. And things that you'll learn are things like, what is a faith crisis? How to communicate with your spouse, how to negotiate the tenders, all of the new challenging things that will happen in your marriage, how to parent when you are in this new space. And because parenting is a big subject, we took two weeks to do it. And Alan, a lot of people want to know if we're going to talk about sex and intimacy. So are we going to do that? We received an email from Salt and Peppa asking us to talk about sex. (laughs) Uh, we are going to talk about sex on, in the workshop. We had to make a decision uh, when we were going through uh, creating the course and the content for it. Do we do two weeks of parenting or do we do a sex and intimacy week? And we decided to do both. So we, we really felt it was important to do the two weeks of, of parenting. But we have added a flourish masterclass is what we're calling it. And it's powerful ways to grow closer in sex and intimacy it's going to be a bonus class for everybody that signs up by by March 20th. And to be frank, I'm excited. Um, not like sexually excited, but I'm, does everyone understand? I'm excited to, to go through that that bonus course as well. Uh, it's Natasha is the only certified sex therapist that that we've heard of in this space, and so we're we're super excited to have her expertise in that as well. Going along with that expertise. One of the reasons why we wanted to do this course with with a professional like Natasha is so many of our listeners have talked about wanting to do therapy, but either not knowing where to go or who to go to. Do I go to a believing therapist? Do I go to a therapist that has never been LDS? And neither of those feel like the right option for for both both members of the of the marriage. And so. Natasha understands both sides of the faith spectrum, if you will, and doesn't have any bias towards either side. And the other uh, objection that, that we get is, or that we've heard is, it's so expensive. It's too expensive to do a one-on-one therapist for any significant amount of time because professionals are expensive. And Natasha is expensive one-on-one as well, and there's good reason for it. So being able to bring her in in this group setting makes it affordable for everybody. Now, we do want to say, uh, even though, yes, it is affordable, we understand that there is a cost to it. And we want to guarantee a satisfaction. If if you go through this course, you know, where you're not paying the $5,000 for the professional work that, that Natasha would take to get this amount of time with her and, and with us. But 
uh, we, we will guarantee that, that satisfaction. And, and if you go through all the workshops and you're trying with your spouse and you're still not satisfied by the end of it, we will uh, refund your money with no questions asked. Yeah, I think that's a big plus. You know, I, I wish I had a course. I wish I had something to s- sort of like help guide me through some really hard discussions in my marriage. And I look at it this way. You have three choices that you can make. You can, one... Get divorced. That wasn't part of the options. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. The first one was you could just go through it on your own and try and figure it out, which is what we did. And this is why this is why we're creating the course is because we know how difficult that can be. The second choice was we could hire someone, which it could be equally as expensive, as tiring, um, as burdensome, trying to find the right person. A lot of you live out of state and it's very difficult to get to a therapist who is understanding of the general area that you're in. And so you don't have to do any of the legwork where you're explaining to them what does it mean to be an LDS person. So you could do that or you could take the course. And, you know, I think that if you have the right, you come in with the right intentions, you're wanting to learn, you're wanting to do it, you will absolutely get so much out of it. Someone asked, you know, I'm a single, I'm a single person or I'm, I just myself would want to go through this, but my spouse doesn't. And, you know, singles, you are welcome to come. If you're in a relationship where your spouse isn't quite ready yet to make that commitment, the great thing is, is you buy the course and you have it forever. Your spouse can go through it on their own terms. They can go through it at a later time. You both can go through it at a later time because everything's recorded and you will be able to watch together later. So I think that that checks, that should check all the boxes of the what ifs and problems or that you may foresee in your own future um, when doing this course. Yeah, I think the last thing that we'd like to say before we get to our awesome interview, and we'll introduce them here in a moment, is that if you don't have a need for the course, we have a number of people that are listening that are either are, are no longer in a mixed faith marriage or they're, they're at a, a better place in their mixed faith marriage, but you'd like to pass it forward or pay it forward as, the, as it were. Haley Joel Osment movie that's just really depressing. But anyway, if if you'd like to do that, you can send us a donation and earmark it with the comment of uh, workshop uh, scholarship. Any any sort of note that says scholarship, and we're going to help those that that need the financial help. We want to make this available to as many people as possible. So you can do that through Venmo at Marriage in a Tightrope or the Marriage in a Tightrope.org website. And if you just want to donate to the podcast, you can do either of those also and you can Venmo us or you can do marriage on a org, and you can click the donate button. We really appreciate that a lot of this time and effort is it's just all circulating back to the podcast. It keeps us going. It keeps us doing what we love and hopefully it helps you in return. So if you appreciate that, we would very much love to see a donation. And now, onto what you've been waiting to hear, as Bill says, or used to say. I don't think he does anymore. Plagiarism. <laughs> we have a, a great interview with EJ and Sarah Morin right now. Uh, to, to give you a little intro, they are newly married within the last few years. They Three do not years. have kids. And uh, EJ's faith crisis, spoiler alert, uh, occurred just within a couple of months of them being married. So if you know anybody or you yourself are in a marriage that is relatively new without kids, uh, this, this episode is for you to hear the, the perspective of a couple who is very new and doesn't have kids answering the question of, should we even try this? It may be easy just to cut and let each other find someone else that, that's, that beliefs uh, match up better. And we talk about that with them as well. It's a super great interview. We are really, really appreciative of them uh, being with us, and we hope you enjoy it. We'd now like to welcome EJ and Sarah Morin to the... Morin, right? Did I say it right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because over and over in my head, I said, don't say moron. Don't say moron. <laughs> and now I ruined it. Welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Of course. <laughs> hey, good to be here. This is fun. Where did we meet? Uh, we met them in person before this. Where did we meet them? Yeah, so it's funny because, Sarah, you and I have had 
uh, like a, I think it was either Instagram or something. We had like a little text convo and we, we wanted to set this, uh, interview up for a little while and then, oh, schedules got in the way. And then they came to our latest meetup in Salt Lake and we got to meet both of them and made the connection that Sarah's the one that I've been talking back and forth with. And her husband, EJ is from Mapleton and we have quite a few people in common. And so it was a good connection to make, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. So I, I have to ask, I love asking this question right up front. What made you want to, or at least be willing to come and tell everybody your story? I'll answer that because I'm probably the one who wanted to do it more. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think maybe I maybe we have like a unique perspective on certain things because we're like at the beginning of our marriage, we don't have kids yet. So I thought maybe that could help people in our situation. Um, and then also maybe just um, if we have friends or family who want to know more, I could like refer them to the podcast. Great. But yeah, I kind of went back and forth about it for a while, but EJ said he was okay. He was, he would be fine to do it. So <laughs> I just thought it'd be fun to kind of get our story out there and maybe help other people. So That is a good goal to meet. It so is. Thank you. I think that's like one of the reasons why I was really drawn to both of you is because we haven't had any couples on like you, you know, you're, you, you're, you haven't been married for very long. You don't have kids. Um, you've had some really cool experiences. And I think that we have a lot of listeners that fall in that, that place that, um, especially now, um, quite a few who are students and newly married and they're going through this. And I think that this interview will really speak to them. And so I'm really, really grateful you guys decided to come on. So thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Friends and family of the Morans that are listening today. Hi and welcome to our show. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be just fine. It'll be just fine. So let's, let's get to know you both. Uh, a little bit completely outside of kind of LDS land. Uh, tell us a little bit about, let's start with you, EJ, since we haven't spoken too much yet. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start with you of just kind of where did you grow up? Katie mentioned uh, Maple Mountain, but tell us a little Maple bit about 10. Maple Tin. Sorry. <laughs> my, my Maple Mountain High School is the name of the high school. That's anyway, right. um, tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing, sibling numbers, which one you hate the most, all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> um, so I grew up in, I was born in Mapleton, um, lived there until I was 18. I'm the youngest of eight kids, Ooh. five older brothers, two older sisters. Then I went to BYU um, for like a semester and then went on my mission to Cameroon in Republic of the Congo. Ah, what language? It was French. French speaking, very cool. And then um, I came back. From that, I went to BYU again and studied um, Middle East studies in Arabic. Yeah, so EJ, like, tell us about, like, family life, you know. Did you, you're the youngest of eight, so did you have a lot of older siblings who were, like, the examples and you just kind of, like, fell in line? What was your home life? Was it orthodox? Was it more relaxed? How was that? All of my five older brothers served missions. Um, my dad served mission. All my other siblings were married in the temple. They're all active. I think we're raised in a pretty orthodox family. Yeah, like we read scriptures every day, probably up until I was like, when everyone else left except for me, then we kind of stopped. <laughs> you gotta give your parents a break, right? They were tired. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't blame them. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had pretty strict rules in our house regarding like movies, you know. Some activities, um, dress. So yeah, the church is like a huge part of our lives. Yeah. Any experiences in your youth that w were formative with your relationship with the church? Not really. Like I was never really super invested. I mean, I went to church every week. I was, I never enjoyed scripture study. I never enjoyed watching general conference, but I did it because that's what I was supposed to do. There wasn't really any experiences. Like I love my mission. I, Honestly, it was like the funnest two years of my life. Like, I loved it. Yeah. Um, and 
But growing up in my house, like nothing really, can't really think of any experiences that, you know, turned me off of the church as a, a teenager, but nothing that really like made me love being a Mormon as well. Sure. Just kind of middle ground. Mm-hmm. So all my friends were active. They, all your friends were active, did you say? Mm-hmm. And did you feel like any sort of pressure because you're the youngest? Like that'd be a lot of pressure. I think like knowing all of my siblings had like done all the things, all the check marks. Um, I mean, I feel like that was the only way that I felt pressure was just because everyone had done it uh-huh. as far as like parents, you know, they were pretty open to um, like, I never, I never really remember them pressuring me to serve a mission. Yeah. Um, if there was a Sunday, I didn't want to go to church. I mean, I basically never wanted to go to church, but if there was a Sunday where I woke up and I'm like, I'm just not going, my parents were like, okay, that's cool. Most of the time I felt enough pressure to go that I would usually go. Mm. But yeah. So that pressure was just basically cause everyone's had done it, but nothing like spoken or. <laughs> yeah. It's more of just, this is, this is how, how it, it is. This is how it's done. It doesn't have to be like a an outward direct pressure. It's just kind of, this is what we do. Exactly. Well, Sarah, how about you? Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and um, about your family and growing up. Yeah. So um, I'm also the youngest, um, youngest of five. <laughs> so I have three sisters, one brother. Um, and I would say my home was also pretty orthodox. I don't know if it was quite as orthodox as EJ's <laughs> family, but, um, no, just kidding. No, my, we were like, like my parents, like super strong testimonies in the church always did like family scripture study. And anyway, they're always like trying to do their best and all that stuff. Um, so they tried really hard raising us in the church. Um, and I, I'm like different from EJ. I always loved, <laughs> I loved church. I loved like my, um, I love my experience in the church. Um, I mean, I still do, but just a different relationship. <laughs> um, and, um, let's see. Oh yeah. I grew up in California, Bakersfield, California, and I served a mission in Nicaragua and went to BYU, met EJ at BYU. Now there's like two of us, I don't know two, three-ish out of the five kids that are still, like, active in the church. We have a lot of relatives and other people who have, like, left the church. Mm. So it's a little bit of a different situation with EJ's family. Like, I feel like we have a lot of more people who are, um, like, not in the church. So, mm-hmm. Are your, your parents still involved? Yeah, for sure. Completely. <laughs> cool. You said you served your mission in Nicaragua. Nic- yeah, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. <laughs> I don't know why that's so hard for Spanish? me to say. <laughs> I do speak Spanish. Yeah. Uh, so what was that what was that experience like for you? I loved it. I wouldn't say like EJ, it was the funnest <laughs> for years of my life. Like it was definitely probably like the hardest one of the uh, the hardest years, but until this um faith crisis. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say I like I loved it. Looking back on it, I learned a ton from it. Like um, but for me, it was like really difficult, <laughs> like for sure a hardship, but I, but I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the culture and I'm really grateful for the experience. So at this point, the, the listener could pause and try to guess which one had the faith crisis. Cause we haven't given it away yet. Have we? <laughs> Ever. I think that they may be able to guess. <laughs> so how do you, you mentioned you met at BYU. Was it your, your typical, we were in the same FHE family or what? Pretty how much. did you guys meet? Yeah. We were both in the same ward, like lived like a building over same apartment complex. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Were you married before graduation? Yes. Yeah. Knowing that currently 26, 27 years old. Is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, not too long ago. So how long have you been married now? Almost three years. Almost three years. So uh, we can jump right into kind of the faith crisis moment or transition or however you, you can kind of define it however you want. But Yeah, because this is the really, I like think it's so fascinating, like where and when it happened. So yeah, why don't you guys go ahead and t- talk us through that. And 
I assume that it, like all newlyweds, you were blissfully happy for the first few years. You're settling in. And then how, how far into the marriage did things start to shift? I mean, a few years is like where we're at now. Well, <laughs> a year. It was, I would say it was after like two months. Yeah. It was pretty soon. It was two months after you were married. Yeah, pretty much. So EJ, was it percolating for you? Was it something that was brewing? And that's two months in, that's when you announced it? Or how did this whole thing come to be? So it was never percolating. Like, I had always avoided looking up, you know, alternate explanations for the church or what is often termed as anti-Mormon doctrine. Um, It had been, like, I had two, I'd have... I've had two uncles leave. And so growing up, it was always kind of just, you know, we talk about them, the fact that they had left, but we never talk about why they left. Right. In my mind, it was always like very deceptive and hard to deal with and dark. And so I, you know, I never really had any deep desire to research it. I, you know, on my mission or before my mission, I remember talking to my bishop about why blacks can have the priest and how I would explain that to Africans and basically he just told me to, you know, have him read the Book of Mormon. If the Book of Mormon's true, that's all I need to know. And that kind of always rubbed me the wrong way. And so I had a few, you know, questions like that, but they had never ever been strong enough to make me think that the church could possibly not be true. Sure. And so it basically all started. I had a friend that recommended me to listen to this podcast called Secular Jihadists. Whoa, it's, I've never heard of that. It's really interesting. It's it's like four or five ex-Muslims who get together and talk about them leaving Islam. Mm. And um, I'm going to so subscribe to this right now. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I've always been fascinated with like people that have left Islam for some reason. I've studied Middle East studies in Arabic. And so... Um, and Islam. And Islam. So... That's just something that's always far from interest. So when they told me about this podcast, it's like, oh, I'll tune in. And I kind of got like addicted to it. Like it's really, it's really, they're really funny. It's kind of like a comedy show slash, you know, faith transition show. Like they're just, it's a really um, easy to listen to. And they're just talking about their experience growing up as Muslims and all the crazy things they did and how, you know, blind they were and how their way of thinking about religion or the way that religion was taught to them didn't allow them to really venture outside. And to me, I was very critical of that. I was like, wow, how can people you know, live like that and not even want to find out alternate explanations? Mm. And then at, after a while, I was like, you know, I'm studying religion. I want to be well-versed. And so I might as well find out why people leave Mormonism mm-hmm. just so I'm aware of it. And so that when people talk about it, I can kind of, and I literally just like YouTube, like anti-Mormon like that was like what I searched, like anti-Mormon video or something. <laughs> wow! So you just like went, you just dove headfirst in. Yeah, exactly. Because I was, I was just like, you know, I can handle it, you know. And so I found this one that was like five things that they don't. It was basically like five things that the Mormon Church doesn't want you to know. It's like, oh, that sounds like a good thing. It's fifty things. I remember that video. Yeah, yeah. 50. <laughs> I think it had like a thumbnail of like Joseph Smith. Yeah, with all the things around him. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, that just made me really start thinking. I was like, whoa, this is kind of more, like, hard to deal with than I had expected. I basically thought I'd go in there, watch the video, like, okay, cool. Now I know. Now I know. Never touched it. But then I kept listening to more stuff, trying to figure out if it was actually true. I read, like, Fair Mormon, CES Letter, read the Fair Mormon's response to CES Letter, CES Letter's response to Fair Mormon's response to CES Letter. (laughs) And it was just really confusing. And... So after a few weeks, just I was like, wow, maybe maybe the church is not what I thought it was going to be. And I kept going for like a year. Um, but I was pretty open with Sarah. Like within a few weeks of looking at stuff, I told her. And, and what did you tell her? And Sarah, what was your response? I can't really remember the first time. I think we were reading scriptures or something. And we made the mistake of starting off with the Old Testament. And, and then we started reading the story of Abraham or something because the Old Testament wasn't, you know, as fun to read or as, mm-hmm. 
you know, inspiring as the Book of Mormon is. And Shem, Shem begat Nisham. Yeah, Shem begat, yeah, it's a bit slow. And so I just remember the story of Abraham we read, and then we were talking about it, and then I was just like, well, this doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And then it kind of just brought up, well, actually, like, this is the only thing that doesn't make sense. There's all these other things I've recently been reading about other stuff. And that's, I think that's kind of what sparked the main conversation, so. Yeah, I can't remember, like, the first time necessarily, but I know that you had told me you had been researching some stuff and that some stuff was, like, troubling you or, you know. Um, but I don't, I think I kind of thought it was a phase or something. Like, I didn't. I thought it was, too. I don't know. And it kind of did seem like a phase because after a while we started school again because that was the summer first summer we were married, then we went back to school and he had like a good BYU teacher who um, like knew a lot of the, you know, this doctrine about um, our religion, but he was still like active in the church. And so EJ, sorry, I'm kind of speaking for you, but um, he was saying like, oh, that's, that's inspiring to me. Like he can still know all that and still like be active in the church. So at that time, EJ kind of like, I feel like it kind of did seem like a phase, like he came back for a little bit and was like, Oh, like, I think it's fine. So I kind of ignored it for a while. Like, um, didn't think it was really a big deal. And then just, I think with time, more things kept coming up and And it just became harder to go to church and actually feel like I got anything out of it instead of being before I went to church and it was, you know, like I said, growing up, I didn't really like it, but as an adult and after my mission, I feel like I actually got stuff out of it. But after this experience after a few months going to church was just pain. And it just like, it literally gave me headaches. Like I had to do mental gymnastics and it would just basically every Sunday would reset a cycle of frustration and anger and feelings of betrayal. And it would slowly get better by the end of the week and then go back to church reset. So, so what kind of messages at church would be the hardest for you to hear? Is it just things that were like, no, this doesn't fit with everything that I've learned or was it certain topics or certain ways that people are talking, just trying to, trying to help out our listeners that are experiencing the same thing or have experienced the same thing, kind of put a, put a, see what insight you have into what was difficult for you. And maybe that can, that will ring true for them too. Um, Most of it was just a gospel doctrine and reading like, gospel principles book or studying a specific prophet just kind of seeing the way that they talk about stuff in church as opposed to how it's actually written in church history not like even an anti-mormon I mean, I guess sure just seeing how much they dilute it and how much they whitewash history in the church to make it look like it's a pretty picture and that obviously it's true um so basically the omission of a lot of details that I think are important. For right. Um, and it's just consistent. And so it wasn't ever really like, never have had issues with people or the culture. It was basically just going and feeling like every week I was being lied to or being taught a fairy tale version of what had actually happened. So. Did you ever discuss that with your bishop? No, I never talked to any like church leaders. One time we did. Well, so we moved to Jerusalem. Wow! And um, I did a I did a mass like a short course master's program in Middle East and Islamic studies at an Israeli university in Jerusalem. And so that after a month of moving there, that's when I finally decided to stop going to church. So basically, my branch president called me called us in for tithing settlement after I had not gone for a couple months, and he basically just wanted me to like open up to him and I didn't want to at first, but we talked a little bit about it. That was basically it. It was that one time. And then I want to get to that because I think it would, for a lot of people, the idea of going to Jerusalem is like a very spiritual experience. Right. (laughs) Um, When I think of Jerusalem, I think like, Oh, well you do the tours and that's where Jesus was. And you, and you listen and you, you know, you go to all these places where he walked and did you go to Jerusalem with kind of new eyes and a new feeling about your beliefs? And, and how did that translate when you got there? Can I answer? Yeah. Yeah, please. 
I did think of that, like, before we left. I was like, oh, maybe this will help me have a stronger testimony or, you know, just, which maybe it did in some ways. But in other ways, for me at least, it was kind of hard because we would, like, go somewhere, you know, like the place where people think Christ was crucified or where he was resurrected. And then I would, like, ask EJ, like, so do you, like, even believe this happened, you know? And so he's like, well, not really. Like, And so, you know, it was, in a way, it kind of made it harder because I'm like, oh, we're, like, seeing all these places. And then it's like, you don't even think that this happened. <laughs> Sarah, that, I would, I mean, I, I, I really feel for you at this time because not only are you away from your family and mm-hmm. friends, so you don't have, like, that support there, but then you are trying to figure this out with your spouse in a totally different country mm-hmm. where you're trying to learn the language. Did you know the language before? Yeah, you- I, was, I was studying Arabic. You were, you were studying it, which is, I mean, that's excellent. So did you feel, um, and EJ, you said you weren't going to church with Sarah. How were you feeling during that time? I would say like our first year, like before we came to Jerusalem was probably like the hardest when we were in Jerusalem, it was, like, there's still really hard things about it, but I feel like we were kind of getting in the groove of, like, figuring it out. But when EJ first stopped going to church, what was hard was that people already knew who he was. Like, he had come for, like, a month and then stopped coming, and so it was just kind of awkward knowing, and I'm sure a lot of people deal with this, like, knowing what to say um, to people when they ask, like, where's EJ? <laughs> so at first I was like just said he was sick and then eventually it was like, Oh, he's just not here. You know? So it's just kind of no hard to know what to say. Um, and then eventually I opened up to uh, some of our friends that we met there. The nice thing, one nice thing about being in Jerusalem was that it was a really um, close knit ward since there were not very many of us. So I do, I did really like that, that I felt really close to everybody. Like I didn't feel like anybody was like, judgmental. I feel like people are really supportive. And we had like a couple, a couple friends that they were super nice and we talked to them all the time about religion and that was really helpful. So I think once I was like, finally like, okay, I just have to tell people now because he's not going to church. It was in a way it was freeing because it was just out in the open, mm-hmm. but it also was hard. I, I had to walk like a half hour to church uphill. And so I was always like, <sighs> like just sad like on my walk to try and snow <laughs> no it didn't snow but <laughs> both ways, both ways. But, um I often would listen to your podcast as I'm like walking to church honestly <laughs> um yeah so there are hard things about it but then in some ways I like kind of liked that we were there at the same time so and and it could be equally as um as lonely for you EJ because you've lost your sense of community right in the church. And so do, can you talk a little bit about that? Did you feel that um, either before when you were here or going there to Jerusalem? It was definitely a transition because it's like every Sunday you go to the same people, especially in Jerusalem, they often have like get togethers afterwards. We have eat together. (laughs) Yeah. That was the hardest part was not getting the food anymore. No, I always invited him to come, but he didn't want to come because he didn't want people to think he was just coming for the food. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So the sense of community, I think, was, it was kind of hard, but it, I don't know if I, feel like I missed it a ton, just because I was going to school at the same time. Mm. So I had a community of friends at school that I'd hang out with. Um, I'd see them every day. And so what I lacked in sense of, like, a religious community at church, I feel like I made up for with my friends at school. And then coming back, after that, like, we lived in Bakersfield, California for four or five months. I think that was a little bit different because I never went to church. I didn't really know anybody. So basically, I knew Sarah's family, and that was it. So that was a little bit different. I think that's when I really noticed that it's like finding a job. You know, you, you can talk to people out in your ward about getting a job, and there's always connections, and or there's all these events, you know, like church ball, stuff like that that's just kind of, when that's not there, you realize that that network is, it's kind of hard to stay in that network without going every Sunday. And once you stop going every Sunday, that network completely shifts. And if you do go, it's all, there's always a feeling of like, 
oh, they probably know I'm an active and I don't know, like, do they trust me because I'm an active? Like, <laughs> and a lot of it is, I think most of it is just in my own mind, which makes it just as hard. I don't think people are perceiving me in a negative way hardly at all, but lots of times I just think that's how it is. And so that barrier, I think, is more built by myself than other people. That's a really good point. It is. Because you sit there, you know, your whole life you've been going and you look around and you assume that everybody else is not experiencing these difficult crises or these doubts or these hard moments because everyone's sitting nice in their pews. So that when you experience something that is different from the perceived norm, you think that like everyone must, everyone must be able to see this. (laughs) Everyone must be thinking something. And really that's a lot of it's in our head. Now, it seems like uh, you didn't put up a whole, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like you, you tried to continue attending for too long after your, your shift uh, in beliefs. That was a while. Was a, yeah. I went for like a year. Okay. So you did for a bit. Yeah. Because, well, and partially, <laughs> I mean, we were also still at BYU when it first, the beginnings of it. And then we went to DC for Washington seminar. So he's doing an internship for BYU. So even if he had wanted to stop going, yeah, there but wasn't really there's other implications. I would say that your attendance kind of like was less yeah. when we were in DC, but you still were going the majority of the time. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure as being BYU students and have knowing that you had to get your, and you had to keep going for that reason? Yeah, I didn't, I've never liked, like, I actually wrote a, like, when I was, like, a freshman, I wrote an article in the Daily Universe, and I wrote a paper about how I think obligatory church attendance and, like, religious classes has a negative impact on a lot of people's testimonies, and that was before, like, that was before I had started my mission. Did so, it get published? It, it actually did. It was for, like, a creative writing class, and they would publish, like, three of them <laughs> out of my class, and I was one of them. Nice. So I think that was hard, feeling like I had to go for my classes yeah. uh, or just to, like, stay, like, to get my degree. But at that time, were you really like, considering not going? I didn't think you really were thinking about it. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think that was, like, a consistent thing throughout my whole attempts at BYU. And then when I left, when I stopped believing – I was still just so used to going that it wasn't like a huge dramatic change where the pressure came from. Now that there are a lot of people in your, that are listening that are at BYU right now that are just trying to get through their degree and graduate so they don't have to transfer and, you know, they can just get out of there. So I, I mean, that's why I ask you is because I think that there are quite a few people in this position. There's even, there's employees of BYU that we know. Yeah. That's a difficult situation to be in. That sounds hard, yeah. Yeah, well, you know better than us <laughs> how it was. I was a all-in believer when, when I was at BYU, the whole, all eight years of it. <laughs> not just for a graduate, not for a graduate degree, that was just undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> that long, but... Sarah, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was, I was going to share that, um, remember when I thought that, like, things were going better for EJ. I don't know. Like in our first year of marriage, I feel like I was still having a lot of, I mean, it was really, really hard for me that first year because I still had these expectations because I still thought that what he's going through was just like a phase. So I still expected us to have family scripture study and to go to the temple and do all these things, you know? So I was still expecting all these things so that made it so much harder the first year because I was just wanting these things and they weren't happening. And I remember, it sounds like a funny story, but one day we were going to go to church and you were like wearing a green jacket or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, and I walk out the door and I was like, are you going to wear that to church? I like said something dumb. <laughs> and then we like got kind of in a fight about it. And, he, and then he opened up and was like, well, it's hard for me to go to church as it is. I don't want to have to worry about what I'm wearing. And then I was like, oh, like, I didn't realize that was the deeper reason. Like, I didn't real, I hadn't realized until that moment that he was having a hard time going to church. Like, but just, I thought that he didn't, I don't know. I didn't think about that. 
And so, of course, after I, I think I have improved, but I think (laughs) I, you know, the things like that, like don't matter, like what someone's wearing or like to church, you know, there's always, you know, other things are way more important. And so I think that was kind of when he was able to open up to me, I was like, oh, and then I could understand more like why he's having a hard time. That was just a really big thing for me was like, I had all these expectations. And then finally, when we were in DC, that was when it was like our first year anniversary. And I finally like had a switch in my head. And I was like, well, whatever I'm doing right now is not working. So I need to change. And that was basically when I was like, well, let's just try going a month and not doing scripture study. (laughs) And it was great. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us what are those things you did? Because I was trying to force him to do something that he didn't want to do. And when I was, and then I finally was realigning my expectations with what was reality. And like, I can't be expecting him to do something that's not in aligning with his beliefs. So once I was able to do that, it really helped our relationship. Realigning expectations. That's a, that's a big thing. So was there any trick to that or did it just take time to, to be able to get to a place where you could do that? And were you realigning on both sides? I'd like to hear that. <laughs> I don't know. I think my expectation was that we just don't have to do... Like, realigning my expectations was... I don't know. Just that I could do my own thing. Like, not have to read scriptures or not have to pray. Not have to go to church or not have to go to the temple. But I guess that's more of her realigning her expectations. <laughs> yeah, I think for, for our side, EJ, some of the realignment may be the expectation that I got to get Sarah to stop. I got to get, I have to have her understand. It's not more than understand. I need her to know what I know and agree with it. <laughs> yeah. Was that ever part? You don't seem like a, a bully fighter type. Was, was there any part of you that was like, no, you don't get it. Sit down and read this and follow me. Let's go. Was there any, any sort of, any sort of push or pull in that direction? I'm not, I don't really think there, I think there was expectation as far as allowing me to communicate everything I've heard. And if she's wanting me to make an effort to like find the truth about the church, then she should make the same effort. I guess it's kind of like a, like a negotiating tool. Like, I don't know because I've never had, I've never really expected her to stop going to church or to stop believing. Yeah. He's been really supportive. Like, if I want to stay in the church, he's been really supportive of that. So I, I wouldn't really say there's been that, like, let's let's get out together attitude. It's more been, like, this stuff isn't some crazy weird theory or it's stuff that's, like, in church documents and it's stuff that the church used to teach as doctrine. And there is a valid reason that that should cause someone to doubt not that it's, and basically what, I, what I'm doing is not due to laziness. Although I do love not playing church all Sunday. <laughs> but yeah, there's never really been that expectation for her to leave. That's good. I wonder if, if the fact that there aren't kids is, is yeah. part of that, right? Because yeah. when you have the crisis in your mid-30s, like many people have, like us, mm-hmm. you've got a bunch of kids and... Yeah disrupting that is is an even bigger topic so i mean that that leads i know you have a question i may have like the the atom the atomic bomb question was there ever a moment where either someone suggested or the thought came to mind of man i can get out of this we don't have kids i can start over i can find someone that isn't lds or i can find someone that is lds on your side sarah Mm -hmm. now that's a tough question um, you're smiling, so maybe this conversation has happened, but what, t- can you talk about that a little bit? That's what I was going to ask, by the Is way. Is it? Oh, yes. you're so insane. <laughs> wow, um, I think for me, it was basically in my mind, I was like, she, in her belief, she can't be exalted. Like, so why would she want to be with me if basically I'm leading her to fail her eternal desires? That's really weird to say that. Anyways, like her expectations for the afterlife are completely ruined because of me. So why would she want to be with me? So I think a lot of that was like, 
Yeah, it may be easier to be married to someone that has the same beliefs, but honestly, I was, I, we didn't talk about this. I was like, if I, if we weren't together, I would probably, right now, I would, in my mind, I was like, I would just never get married again because that sounds really hard to deal with, like, any multi, any different fates in the same relationship. But I never really seriously considered it. It was basically, I wanted things to work out. And as long as we could both go our own paths, I feel like we could stay together and make it work. I, yeah, I don't think we ever, like, openly talk about, like, hey, do you want to separate? Like, I don't think we ever yeah. actually talked about that. But I, but I do remember us having that conversation in the park. Mm-hmm. And we, <laughs> and we like asked each other, like, well, do you still want to be with me? And we're like, yes, or like, you know, so we've yeah. had situations like that where we maybe got in a fight or something. And then we like, are like reaffirming, like, do you, like, can we do this? Do you still want to be with me? Yes. And I feel like we've had moments like when it's been harder where we have kind of said like, well, do you think we can do this? You know, we've had moments like that. Yeah. Like, can we do that? You know, but I don't think it's been like a serious of like yeah. getting a divorce or anything which I don't want <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think we I think we're like doing pretty well like I think our after we've gone through all that hard stuff that we've been through I think that um our relationship has grown a lot but I know that kids is like a whole other story <laughs> yeah. but that's why and I really so. enjoyed like the podcast because we um I'll listen to it and then I'll be like, Hey, what do you think we would do in this situation? Which of course right now we don't know. It's kind of, it's just going to be one step at a time, but like, I don't know. I think at least we're thinking about it and hopefully that'll make it easier when it comes. Right. No no need to live trauma now that you will experience (laughs) later in life. (laughs) But I think it is important to talk about it, as you said, and and just to come to an understanding of of what you both believe and what you think. It's it's really important to find that common ground, you know, now, especially before the kids come. So you're not going into it blindly, so to speak. I think you you guys deserve a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, the multiple times that you said, can we do this? Do you want to do this? In the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, <laughs> of a big fight, like being deliberate in those things, in those hard moments is hard to do and really important. So that's, mm-hmm. that's great that you're able to do that. Being able to, in those hard moments, just look at your spouse and say, I know this is hard, but I love you. And we're still speaking in elevated tones but I'm in this with you. I'm in it with you. And that's really, really, really good message to hear. So thanks for sharing that. Tell us a little bit about when you decided to tell your families <gasps> and how did you decide to tell your families about where you were at? Yeah. So I first told like one of my sisters. It was right was before that. we went to Israel. Oh yeah. It was right before we went to um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We were, I, we, I just, like, sat down and we talked about it. I basically told her, I was like, I don't know if it's true. And that, that was basically it, though. Well, first I, I still... told, first I told your sister and our sister-in-law. Oh, okay. And then I think that's when she talked about it with us. After that. Yeah. But that was, like, one out of, like, nine people to tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, so that was, and that's pretty, like, she's very understanding. She's easy to talk to. Um, but then I kind of felt bad because then it made her like have some serious struggles with the church. And so then I was like, I don't know if it's a good idea to tell people because it's like, I'm totally happy with people. I'm like, if I could still go to church and be happy, even if I don't believe it, I would still do it. Like the reason why I don't believe and the reason why I don't go to church are completely separate. Are you guys familiar with Marco Polo? Yeah. Yes, we have. So I probably didn't do it in the best way <laughs> because I basically we have a chat with all of the sister-in-laws in EJ's family. And I had asked EJ if I could tell people, because at that time we were just like, okay, let's be open. And I had like told everybody in our ward and blah, 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 or some people in our ward. And so I had asked him and I think he said, you said it was fine yeah. if I told people. So I just like told all the sisters in the family, like, oh, EJ's like not, doesn't go to church anymore. And doesn't like, and I think I just didn't realize like that was not the best way to do it. So don't do it <laughs> like that. 
Especially since six of them were not even, they were like in-laws. So it was like yeah, two so actual, then, actual siblings and six. Right. Yeah, and so, and then of course they tell their husbands. So, and I should have just let EJ do it. But I think you didn't really want didn't to want tell. To, you didn't really yeah. want to tell people. And I was kind of like, I want to tell people and like talk about it. Later on, EJ sent out an email to his family explaining everything. And then I sent an email to my family. I know one of the dynamics is, this is EJ's story to tell. Honestly, I was fine with Katie telling whoever she wanted to tell, whether it was a friend, family member. I didn't have any animosities, not even the word, reservation to her speaking about it. Did you like give permission or was there a conversation about, Sarah, you tell who you need to tell, or was the whole Marco Polo thing a big surprise? <laughs> um, it wasn't a big surprise because we had talked about it, but it was basically, I feel like I kind of had the easy route because I just like, I stopped going to church and we're living in a country where like no one really, I mean, everyone, a lot of people are religious, but everyone's different religions anyways. Basically I didn't have to deal with like my life didn't change that much outside of going to church because I never really talked about church at the university I attended. I mean, so I took the easy route. And so then I didn't have to deal with people asking me questions all the time. Where's your husband? Where wasn't he believe? Blah, blah, blah. So I just told her, I was like, if whatever way you feel like you need to deal with it, like, just do it. If, if it's telling people that will help you, then I think that's a good plan. So. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because I really needed people to talk to. So it was nice that EJ told me over and over again, like, tell whoever you want. But the one thing he did say was that he just doesn't want to be painted as like this lazy person. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want to go to church, but that there's like legit reasons. Sarah, was it, was it hard to not feel like when you talk to other people, whether it's family or friends or people in the ward about where EJ was out, was it hard not to slip into the, like the victim mode? I felt like I didn't want to be seen as a victim because I already felt weird about it. And I felt like people were looking at me. I mean, they weren't really like, like you just said, it was probably on my head. You just felt it. Yeah. Like they probably didn't care as much as I probably did. It just feels weird to sit, you know, by yourself at church when you're not used to doing that. I didn't like that. I usually sat in the back row or something. I'm with you. I didn't want to feel like the victim. I didn't want people to pity me. Yeah. That was the big thing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to be, yeah, the church widow. Oh, poor. How are, how are you doing? Yeah, I was, okay? I was the primary president. And so it was like, oh, that poor primary president with her four kids who's there at church all alone. And th- those are the type of stories that people tell. Like, yeah. oh, she persevered and she went with her kids. So I'm, I know how you feel about that. Did you feel any of that pity from family or friends? Was that hard to deal with? Maybe the only person I felt it from was my mom. <laughs> and that's not like a bad right. thing. Of course. Mom. It's just because well, she yeah. felt sad. You know, she had to go through the same grieving process. Like she, and, and of course my mom, she grew up in a family where her mom took them all took the four kids to church. So her dad wasn't a member. So she's thinking in her head, Oh, well, I don't want this to happen to you. This is, this was my reality. And, you know, so, and I'm thinking like, okay, but I can't like, that's how it is. Like, I just have to accept it. And, you know, but I still have to realize that she has to go through her grieving process too. Yeah. Um, But she's probably the only one that that was probably, you know, like sad about it. And, yeah, maybe she's the only one I can think of. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you make a really, really important point to remind everybody of is when you talk to loved ones, they have to go through their own grieving process. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, especially if a lot of time has passed for you and your spouse, mm-hmm. then it's not as hard for you, even in the moments of, by the time we talked to Katie's family, for example, like it was, it was still difficult for us in some ways, but it wasn't hard for me to talk about these things anymore you can kind of get blindsided by someone's reaction because you expect it to go a certain way because you're in a good, better place, but this is a bombshell to a lot of people. So their reactions, you have to, everyone needs to remember that this is the very beginning for them and what it felt like in the beginning for us, <laughs> pretty tough. And now that's that clock is starting for them as well. Yeah. I think that was the same thing happened for us. Like we're like, Oh, like we're fine. <laughs> right. We're fine now. And, but then, 
some people we would tell would be really, really sad. And we'd have to remember like, oh yeah, like this is sad for them. They have to get through the process. So you, you moved back from Jerusalem. How long ago did you move back? We moved back last August. Last August, so less than a year. And you live currently? American Fork, Utah. American Fork. So how has the, how has it been coming back to Utah and being an award here? How much do you're laughing? How much do you want to talk about that? <laughs> Utah oh, County. It's, it's different. <laughs> it's a lot different. Like just going to work. I feel like there's kind of, I don't know, a lot of camps. Mm. Like there, like I work with, work with a lot of people that have left the church and a lot of people, you find that out like within the first day or two of meeting them. Like it's something that people that have left want to bring up often. Sure. But I don't blame them because it's, you know, it's kind of a weird feeling to be here and to be like out when, you know, you're so used to being on the inside and now you also feel like you're on the outside. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't like that because. You know, that's kind of one thing I regret, but I kind of wish I was less open about how I wasn't Mormon anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like a lot of people, that's like an automatic connection you have with people. And I'm like, I don't really like that being an automatic connection. I like, I like it being the same thing that connected to me to other people before, just like same interests or similar like personality types. Yeah. Um, not just the fact that we both don't believe. And that's been a little hard, but a lot of people, I've, I play racquetball with some people in my ward. I play basketball. And that's been kind of fun because it's kind of helped me uh, just feel like some of the positive aspects that I had been missing out on before. Yeah. And then some people at work always want to talk about like religion and how much, how glad they are that they've left it. And I'm like, let's talk about other stuff, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it'd be kind of a culture shock because you're in Jerusalem in another country where this is not the topic of of discussion all of the time. And you come to this like, you know, so saturated culture here and that would be a big change. Um, And I think it's interesting that you said that you didn't want the commonality to be that you were either in or out of the church because you were, you were focused more on interests and I think that that across the board is, is probably really good advice for all of us is, you know, not to assume number one and number two, to have other interests other than the church and have something else to talk about. Cause you know, we've all talked to those people who 100% that's the only thing they can talk about is yeah. and nothing to say, nothing bad about it. But I think that's important. That's a, that's a key thing to have in your utility belt. Yeah. There's a healing process part of it there's for a while i mean i talked to a lot of people at work about having left the church um particularly with those that have left but after you've kind of processed through that it seems like ej you're in the spot where it's like okay yep i get it time to move on let's get back to you know the things we have in common rather than the things that we no longer have in common (laughs) yeah and and i think that that's a natural so if, if you're listening to this and you you are in that space where it feels like I have to talk about this. I'm going to check. I mean, this is what I did. I, I literally checked for people at getting coffee at the coffee machine and I would go and whisper to them, uh, what's your deal with the Mormon church? Because <laughs> I, I was like, I got to find people. I got to find people I can talk to. And now I just don't care. It just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if you're in that space, it's okay. You're gonna, you'll get past yeah, it. It's part. It's just, you go through <laughs> like the first day of orientation at my new job, it was the same exact thing. Like one guy came up to me and he's like, do you want to get coffee? Like we were just eating lunch. I was like, sure. And he's like, oh, and we got coffee. And he's like, so dude, like what's up with the morning? That's, that's, the, litmus te- that's the litmus test. Yeah. That's so, it's so funny. And yeah, there's definitely a- just been like, no, I'm totally in, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this is it's actually just hot chocolate. But, but, um, and, that, and I think that's important too, because like there was totally a phase where that's all- like, I want to talk about with Sarah it was just basically all these issues that I had. Right. And then, you know, so it's like, I think it's definitely important to find a place where you can't talk about that. And if that's at work, that's with your friends. So yeah, that's thing to do. Sarah, how about for you? How's, it, how's the move back been? How's the new ward? How's it being down there in AF? At first, I did not like it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just, it was just weird getting used to living somewhere where everybody is LDS again. Right. But now I feel like I'm more used to it. And people here are super nice. Like, I, and I actually really like the ward. Um, I feel like everyone's been super, super nice. And they, I don't know if they did this on pur- purpose, but the ministering sister I have, her husband also left the church. So we're like, cool. So we like, <laughs> Not, yeah, we're just talking about how we shouldn't bond on that, but kind right, of bond right. on that. No. Similar experiences <laughs> help. Um, it's, you know, just nice to have someone else who, you know, kind of understands. So I like go to church with EJ's sister and her family. So I'm not like sitting by myself. So maybe that oh, makes nice. you too. Yeah, I feel like it's been okay. I, but yeah, it is definitely an adjustment. I think now I'm more used to it, but like when we first got here, I was like picking up something for you on a Sunday. And I just felt really weird. I was like, I'm in the store. I'm in my church clothes. And I, like, felt so awkward. <laughs> anyway, so just that, those feelings of, like, people watching you or I don't know. Right. But once again, it's probably, like, more in my head than, than it really matters. Anyway, I think it's gotten easier. It's gotten better, but at first it was a shock. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you're young, you don't have kids, you have the whole wide world in front of you. So tell us, what, like, what are your plans for the future? That's a good question. <laughs> um, so we have a couple of, like, options we're thinking of. So I am on the final stage of the State Department test. So it's, like, the most competitive part, so it's really hard to get into still. So, but I'm applying for a position in the Middle East to work at consulates and embassies and it'll be a five-year fellowship. So if we, if I get that, then we'll move to the Middle East or to any Arabic speaking country for five years. And if I don't get this, then we'll probably stay here for a couple of years. Um, while we both do school or. We're still figuring it yeah. out. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, I know you're studying too. Do you want to talk a little bit? Yeah, about yeah. I'm studying. Well, I'm, um, doing some prerequisites for a dietetics program. So I'm going to do it online. So if we do end up moving abroad, I'll do it online. And then I'm not sure how we're going to make it all work. If I could do like make, do a business online or something, I would love to do that. But I would love, if we could live abroad again, I would love that because we, we love that. But we're fine with living here for a few years if that doesn't work out right now. Okay, let's hear your wisdom. If you could give anyone some advice that people, a couple that are in your shoes right now, maybe they're young, newly married, don't have kids. um, What would be some of your top pieces of advice you would give to them? Um, One of the biggest things I've realized is, like with my family and a lot of the people I've met, I've realized they have major issues in their marriage. From a variety, for a variety of different reasons, whether it's religious or just other things, and then just realizing every marriage has major issues, um, at least to that couple, they're considered major issues. And so I think a lot of the issues that we went through, I attributed the root cause being that we were, had different beliefs. And, and then realizing like, oh, like maybe this issue that we're experiencing is just a normal Thing that people go through in their marriage because it, if it, even if it wasn't related to religion, I'd be like, oh, maybe it's just hard. Maybe we can't make this work out because we have different beliefs. And it's like we're arguing about what movie to watch or something. <laughs> and so I think not attributing every difficulty that you have to the fact that you're in a mixed faith marriage, but rather to the fact that you're in a marriage is a big. I love that normalizing it. That's a good point. That is a really good point. Yeah. And obviously, like, a mixed faith marriage adds a lot of different dimensions, but I think a lot of the issues that exist are just part of growing together as a couple as two different people. I don't know how to follow that, but <laughs> that was great. It wasn't um, that good. Just go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> Maybe this just seems really basic, but just being able to, realizing that you can understand someone and not agree with them. So, like, you can just, you can listen and you can hear their side of the story and you don't have to agree. You can just say, I understand that sounds really hard and I can see why you think that way, but I just don't agree. But I realize that that's also really hard to do. And sometimes to, if you're in the believing spouse um, side of the story, if you're wanting to like hear what your spouse has to say, you know, that can be hard on your testimony and 
but at least for me, it was necessary for our relationship. So I guess everybody can kind of make their decision on with that. But um, I feel like some things you do need to be open enough to at least understand where they're coming from. Um, even if you don't agree. That's good advice. That's great advice. Did we uh, miss anything that you wanted to talk about that you wanted to leave us with parting words? You was saying like the whole, like, you know, in our belief system, like I can't be, you know, we believe we can't be exalted unless you're married. But one thing that I always go back to and think is that like, I'm not the judge and I can't really say, I don't know what's going to happen after this life. Um, and I know that there's like set things that we're, that we believe in the church, but I think that I can't really judge EJ is an amazing person. Who am I to say that like, I'm going to be like in a higher degree of glory than EJ. Like, I don't know that, you know, just because I'm going to church and he's not, you know, I just, I'm, I just think that that's one of the things that has given me comfort, I guess, is just knowing that like, I'm not the judge. I can't be the one who is making, I'm not the one who's making these decisions like in the afterlife. I think that's a, that's a really good perspective to have because I think at least in the believing case, you can get stuck thinking, oh no, I'm not going to be with him again. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, um, especially for, again, those, those believing spouses, I think, you know, God will make it all right when it, you know, when we, when we get down to it, I think I really believe that things will be made right. And whatever that, whatever that means. Right. So why, why worry about it so much now? Yeah. So I, I like that sentiment because I absolutely can feel how grace and mercy comes into play and how I feel about it versus how Alan feels about it. You just have to let go and of that expectation, like you said before, and you just hope for the best. Yeah. We'll be playing church ball in outer darkness. Me and you, EJ. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Please. No. Please. Racket ball. Racquetball, church ball, that could be any ball. (laughs) Well, um, EJ and Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Marriage on a Tightrope. I think that your story is fascinating, and I really feel like it'll do a lot of good for a lot of people who need to hear it. So we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go